Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is also sponsored by the POCUA, a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement, as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. Always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and it's Friday afternoon. I know that this is going live on a Tuesday, but it's Friday afternoon, and it's the end of Friday, and I have a great guest that was willing to be with me at the last point of Friday, and her name is Katie Nelson. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is the Social Media and Public Relations Coordinator for the Mountain View Police Department in Northern California. She specializes in social media management, speaking across the country on social media best practices, crisis communications, and forming positive working relationships between law enforcement and the media. And God knows we need that today. She's also the co-host of her own podcast, which is the Silicon Valley Beat. We're going to talk about that. But Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's awesome to have you. Like I said before I even press the record button, it's always so nice to to have a fellow podcaster because there's no questions. There's a, well, what if this happens? You know, what if I do this? Like, no, no, no. It's like, yeah, just press the record button. We'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's awesome. So I've got to ask, you know, I, I've, I've seen tons of public relations professionals at uh, different law enforcement organizations, but you're one of the first that I've seen with a title that says social media and public relations coordinator, uh, obviously for the Mountain View Police Department. And you've been doing that since 2015. Before you came on board, was there a social media portion to to that title uh, or did you kind of add it to that traditional PR role when you got there? No, actually, that was part of the title when I applied. So uh, awesome. the department actually is, it was one of the first in the country to start using social media to connect with their community members. I mean, we're in the heart of Silicon Valley. If we're not using tech to every possible advantage that we can, what are we even doing? So um, my boss, actually, who's now the deputy chief here, he started our social media channels back in like, I want to say 2012. And uh, it's just evolved from there and God bless him. He's let me kind of take them and run with them. So I've been having a blast for the last five years. I like to say my job is the ultimate millennials job. So I'm really enjoying myself. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, you, you came on on time as we talked about actually early and you had a <laughs> smile on your face right from the very minute. So, so you, you, you have to be enjoying something. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Well, how can you not be happy on a Friday afternoon? Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I'm really pleased to hear and, and and in all honesty, there are a lot of police departments that I'm seeing that are having roles uh, similar to yours, which I, I think is spot on. Um, you know, how are we going to connect with the community, especially in the days of COVID-19 and so forth, if we're not on social media, if we're not using that medium to be able to connect with people. Um, you know, it's, it's so 
far removed from the days of, of some of the police organizations, I remember, where their idea of technology was getting a new string for those two metal cans that they had <laughs> stretched, you know, between, you know, two precincts. Um, <laughs> hey, we had those two. Don't knock them till you try them. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I was, you see, I think I'm older than you, and those things never work. You Just know, you had, to, you, had to, you had to pull them, you know, really, really tight, and, you know, you never really heard anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm dating myself. Um, so for those that that don't know, what is your typical day? What is uh, kind of the role Monday through Friday, um, and probably Saturday and Sunday for that matter, for a social media and PR expert uh, for the police? Well, that's, I think the beauty of this job is that there's no typical day. Everything is atypical. I'm lucky if I, um, if I start work at like eight o'clock in the morning, um, but what I, what I love about this job is that it, yes, it doesn't stop, but that's because our community knows we're here. Yeah. And so, um, if somebody has a question at, you know, whatever time I'm able to jump onto Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, next door, wherever they happen to be and have these conversations with them and they don't have to wait, they get answers in real time. Yeah. Um, and so on an average day, I'm, you know, we're starting in the morning straight up with having conversation. And that is much of what the day consists of is conversation with community members, with media uh, representatives, with other people in other parts of the country looking for help or assistance. Um, it, it really is just a, the best of mixed bags. And um, in, in between all of the traditional public information officer work that I get to do, I, like I said, I get to spend my days on social media. I get to help create campaigns uh, around education and um, I get to really do what I love, which is having meaningful moments with people who I may not right now at least get to meet face to face, but they know that they're getting some kind of help right off the bat by just reaching out to us and asking us, um, you know, for assistance. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And since you are a media expert, I hadn't uh, planned on asking you this, but I want to tap into that area of expertise because I see in some areas of the country, um, police departments and the media don't necessarily have the best relations, unfortunately. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll blame the media, sometimes I'll blame police, and sometimes I'll blame both parties. Uh, but I know that that part of the traditional thinking is we don't need to talk to the media. You know, we, we're in an investigation, we have things going on. Um, you'll be the last to know. <laughs> um, and the problem with that, I found, is that the media, if they don't get the factual narrative, or at least enough to go out there and report, to say bluntly, they, they will make up a narrative um, which fits into their newscast, which isn't always positive for police. So from that standpoint, how does, does your role you know, really help to, to build a relationship with the media, to be able to say, all right, you know, here, here's, here's part of the story. Yeah, I want to give you more information, but we really can't for these obvious reasons. How does, how does that help with the local media? It, uh, it certainly, I have come to understand, especially in the last couple of years, that silence is an answer or saying no comment is an answer. And that's probably the most damning and most damaging thing any agency can say to a journalist. I used to be a journalist. And so 
the court of public opinion is very strong. And if a law enforcement agency is not providing information in a timely fashion to their community, which often includes their own reporters, um, the gaps are being filled by the rumor mill. And so it does you no good to have this adversarial relationship with, uh, with journalists. And half, you know, half that battle is just forming relationships before the crisis happens. So I am a big believer in coffee meetings. I know that that's not necessarily what we can do right now in the age of COVID, but um, any way that you can just check in with your local media market, the journalists that are in there and just keeping up conversations, um, that's, that's a huge asset to you because at the end of the day, they are going to help you amplify your message, especially in a time of need. So um, being able to have good working relationships with them is pivotal to anybody's success. Um, and I can speak on that both as now in, the, in a law enforcement role, but also beforehand when I was a journalist, I can't tell you how important being able to have strong relationships with PIOs and with police departments were to make my job more effective and actually do my job well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have to ask, too, I would be remiss if I didn't. How did you even get into this? I mean, you're, 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 you're the cop chasing down bad guys. You're, you're a successful journalist. You earned awards, I see here. And then you wound up working for the police department. How does that happen? It all happened over coffee, actually. Uh, I'm not joking. It's like a main food group. Uh, I thought I, I, when I, my first job out of college, I was at a very small paper, but a very lovely paper, um, out in the central Valley in wine country. And I had no, I had that no sounds interest in, terrible. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had no interest in being, uh, any, any kind of scanner chaser or anything like that. I wanted nothing to do with covering cops and courts. And one day the reporter who was actually covering that beat left and my editor pulled me and he said, Oh, by the way, you're our new cops and courts reporter. And that day, um, it was just, I had a life-changing experience involving law enforcement. I went on my first ride-along shortly thereafter, and I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm so, I'm so in the wrong line of work. Like, I love this so much. Yeah. Um, flash forward six years later, and I was actually having a meeting with the woman who was in my role prior to, prior to me. Um, and she, we were walking back from coffee at a little place down in our, in our downtown here in Mountain View. And she turned to me and she goes, would you ever want this job? And I thought she was kidding. And I started laughing. I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And then four months later, she gives me a call while I'm on vacation. She said, hey, I'm leaving. Do you want to, do you seriously want to try this job out? And I was like, oh, okay. You were serious. And uh, met with my boss. And within 15 minutes, I think we realized that we were finishing each other's sentences. So it was just like a match made in heaven. And uh, I finally got to fall into by all these random circumstances um, a position at a police department that I, I, I count my blessings every day. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. One state we definitely have covered is California. The police credit union serves all law enforcement personnel and their civilian co-workers, including volunteers within California, employed by any municipal, county, state, or federal agency or special district. They also serve firefighters, EMTs, and court employees in nine counties within the state. The police credit union has proudly been serving first responders since 1953. 
For more information about the Police Credit Union, go to thepolicecu.org or call 800-222-1391. To find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals. And you deserve better. I would think, too, that you would have a very unique perspective when there is kind of a a rough story out there um, where you can understand the the angle from law enforcement and also understand, well, all right, this person has a deadline. This person, you know, does need something. You know, let's, 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 let's find a middle ground here. Yeah. And I love being able to, you know, still have a hand. It's like, you're still, you still have a hand in journalism. You're just another part of the story. Yeah. Um, Which is just, it's, you know, it's, it's so much fun. I, I don't think I've ever come to work a single day and gone, today's been kind of boring. Like I always come in and I'm like, all right, let's do this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of fun, uh, you're also a podcast host. Uh, you host, uh, as I mentioned, the Silicon Valley beat. Um, and I had the name of your, your co-host partner, who's a police captain. Yeah. My notes, Saul Yeager. Did I get that right? Jager, yes, Jager. You know, you, you never know. You know, you always think <laughs> that okay, I should pronounce this like a Y, and then you go there and it's and you actually do have to say the J. What's up with that? You're not the first, and you're not the last. You'd have to ask him. I don't know. He's got all sorts of funky pronunciations for things. <laughs> so, so both you and Paul host the the Silicon Valley Beat. From what I understand, it was relaunched March of 2019. At least that's what I saw in Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and all that. Um, first off, you know, why a podcast there, there aren't too many police departments that are doing that, you know, why a podcast in the first place? Um, I think we, we were looking at other ways to connect with our audiences. It was like, okay, are we getting stale and boring by just doing social media? Um, we had had kind of a start and stop podcast for several years and it wasn't done with, um, with such uh, regularity that it was sticking particularly. And this was right around the time that like, I, at least I was really getting into serial, my favorite murder, small town murder. I mean, clearly I have a thing for a particular type of genre. And, uh, (laughs) you know, as, as, (laughs) as, as the true crime category director for podcast magazine, I wouldn't understand that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So I was, I was listening to stuff and I was like, we could, we could do it like this if we wanted to. And, uh, we, we realized though that we wanted to start by kind of inviting people in and really giving them this very pulled back look and hearing from uh, people within the department, just what it's all about. And there's, there's a very different connectivity that happens with audio as opposed to yeah. reading or watching or whatever. It, it, it's so, um, it's so fundamental. It's how stories have evolved for, you know, eons. And so we really sat down and took a serious look at, how we would bring in certain topics, how we would talk about certain things and who those, who those people were that could help do that with us. You know, sometimes you've got these great topics, but you may not have great personalities to go with it. So it was very um, meticulous in how we built it. And um, our first season was just 
an incredible success, particularly when we started diving into the more um, emotional aspects of policing, especially like uh, talking with people who have battled cancer in our department or um, talking with our chaplain who um, just had this very um, just incredible podcast with us about just what it means to think and feel and be important because you're you and it these were just we hit our stride there and it was like okay we kind of get what we're doing a little bit <laughs> yeah you you hit on something really important there um which i actually had never thought about before is i've always thought about two different um two two completely different ideas one um, in my work with law enforcement, we, we talk quite a bit about humanizing the badge. Um, that, you know, while you know, the, unfortunately there are some folks that will always be negative and anti-law enforcement, um, there are some that are in some kind of a gray area. And, and once they see you as a father, or a mother, or a sister, or a brother, you know, somebody that's just trying to, you know, make a living, have a career, and then go home to their family, and not just a badge or a uniform that changes. And I think mm -hmm. podcasting, I never thought of it this way, but yeah, I think that podcasting is one of, not the only one, but one of the perfect mediums to help to do that. Um, and my point is, is I remember sitting, it was actually one of the last darn conferences I was able to go to before this little COVID thing. I went to pod, <laughs> podcast um, uh, movement evolutions, I believe it was called, uh, down here in Los Angeles. And they had, I believe, uh, I believe it was the CEO from iHeartRadio. And he was talking about podcasts and how over the last few years, podcasting has grown so much because of the intimate nature of having it in your ears. Yeah, there's certainly there's something about video. There's um, there's some visceral reaction to reading something that has been written very well. But there's something about you know with with you know as I see you right now with the earbuds of being in people's ears that really does make a difference. And I never made those two connections before until just this very minute when you talked about you know the the beauty, my words, not yours, of of a podcast. Yeah, and it's 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 so multifaceted too, right? Because you can hear tone isn't lost like the way it could be in words. Um, and that's coming from somebody who loves to write, yeah. but like there's the tone and the, and the passion, you can hear it so explicitly when you're talking about things in a podcast and, you know, podcasts don't have to be long either. You can knock out an incredible story or have an incredible conversation in a very short or a very long amount of time. And, and you, you feed into people's various, you know, attention states and you, um, you're readily accessible when they're ready. That's the other thing. It's like, you're yeah. not telling them, hey, you got to listen right now. You're there when they're ready. And that's, yep. that's kind of a nice little luxury because in law enforcement, time is not a luxury for us. And suddenly this one little facet of our ability to connect with people, it is there. And I really like that about podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I was reminded uh, at a event a couple of years ago it, I had even already gotten into podcasting and didn't realize it until the speaker said do you actually know what pod and podcast stands for 
and personal on demand. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, but, you, you know, you're right. It, it could be as short or as long as it needs to be. Um, you know, the uh, editor and founder of Podcast Magazine says that all the time when he's asked, you know, well, how long should my podcast be? Well, you know, there is kind of a, a, a rule of thumb, but, he's, but he always says it's as long as it needs to be. You know, yep. if, you, if you've got a 67-minute piece of really good content, then it's 67 minutes. Either, That's right. either in one episode or two parts or whatever you want to do it, but it's 67 minutes if you have 67 minutes of quality content. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, we were, when we kind of dove into our first storytelling narrative arc uh, podcast that we did after our first season of Silicon Valley Beat, that was one of the things we wrestled with. It was like, how long do we make each episode as we're telling this story that, you know, spans 30 odd years. It was, um, and then when we look back on our podcast now, we're going, Oh my God, what were we doing with a 44 minute podcast that could have been done in 24? Like, stop it. We should have just cut people off and been like, okay, you're talking too much. Thank you. (laughs) And it's all about cadence and pacing too. That's part of the thing that you learn as you go is, um, what keeps people intrigued and engaged? Is it the way that you're talking? Is it the story that you're talking about? Is it, um, is it because they have a personal vested interest? Like you are learning as you go. And that's just, it's a, it's a fun, you have to be fundamentally adaptable to the changes in podcasting and how that resonates with your audience. And that's what makes it so great. Cause it's very much like this job. It's not typical. What, what is the goofiest or craziest thing that's happened, uh, in conjunction with, uh, the Silicon Valley beat? Um, there was one episode that we recorded and I was laughing throughout the entire thing that my boss was like, that can't go, that can't go public. Cause I was just, I could not keep it together. And it was all, it was like the stupidest joke. And for just for whatever reason, um, I lost it for about 25 minutes and we tried to, re- we record, we recorded it. We powered through, but, um, my deputy chief was like, that can't go live. Like, (laughs) at least not not like that. No. (laughs) Um, but we've just had, especially when we were, um, recording our, our, our narrative arc for our cold case podcast. Um, you learn real quick. If you have problems with speech, we, I can't tell you how many times we had to do take after take, because even though the sentence was so simple, we would mess it up. And, when you're two and a half hours into trying to record a single paragraph, that is exhausting. And you walk out of there and you are so drained. I think that was one of the, not maybe not goofiest, but strangest phenomena that I had ever experienced with anything in regards to like a storytelling medium. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've often thought that uh, for some of the recordings that I have for some of my shows and other things that I've done for clients where I've needed to record something that I should have saved all of those outtakes. I always delete them, but I should, <laughs> I should save all of those outtakes because it, they would hear me say, uh, so on public, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have lots of outtakes and we sit there and we're like, wow, okay take a chill pill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's editing is a wonderful thing. That's why it's very rare that I do anything live from this standpoint. Smart so, <laughs> uh, so 
from a podcast standpoint, I, I've listened to your show. It's a quality show. Um, I, I gave I gave a mention of it on on Podcast Magazine. Um, since it is such a valuable medium to connect with communities in a time where we need this more than ever, you know, why aren't more law enforcement agencies, departments, organizations doing this? Um, I think probably it's a, it's a, I think there are several reasons. One could be time and resources, which can be very hard. Podcasting can either be very inexpensive or it could be very expensive depending Correct. on the equipment that you buy. Um, it's sometimes, you know, the muse just doesn't strike and you're like, well, what do we talk about? Like, you know, for us, when we started, it was like, well, we know this stuff. And I've been, we had to come to the understanding that, but nobody else does. And that's what makes it so interesting to other people. It's for those who are listening from the outside coming in and going, oh, I'm learning something as I'm listening to this. Um, but I think a lot of times too, it's just finding the people who want to be able to do it and carry it forward. We've been very blessed where, you know, we've been told my captain and I that, you know, we can do this recording and th these recordings, the podcast, and we can spend time on it. Um, granted, we're both desk bound. We're not out on patrol. So I think it would be very different if you had somebody uh, who was trying to do a podcast, but they had, you know, their primary function first and foremost was to be an investigator or to be on patrol. Um, a lot of, you know, it, if, depending on how fast your city moves, uh, you may not just have the luxury of time to be able to sit down and do something like this. And you, you know, you've got stuff happening after work too. So I think it's a, it's a bunch of factors that probably play into it. Now, that being said, um, the value in podcasting is incredible. I think uh, LAPD does a great job. I granted, I know they have an entire media unit, Josh Rubenstein and Correct. Uh, Matthew Reyes down there. They're both, you know, they both work on that and they do a phenomenal job. And I mean, Josh was built for radio. Um, the, you know, there's uh, the Wisconsin Department of uh, Natural Resources, I think, uh, Katie oh. Grant, who runs the podcast out there, she does a phenomenal job too. It's, you know, it, they're, it's getting picked up in places you wouldn't necessarily expect yeah. a podcast to be. Um, but as I think more people try it and more people see that there are examples out there that they could at least look to for guidance before they perhaps start. Um, I think that's all to the good. Cause again, it's just one more way. There is never going to be enough ways for you to connect with your community. And it is one more way to invite people in to get those conversations going and to really get those connections made. Because if you're not doing that now, you're probably being left out of the narrative and the worst possible thing that any law enforcement agency can do right now is not be available. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, in, in some cases be behind the curve with this type of technology and in, in medium. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very spot on. As, as with any tactic, there's always a pro and a con um, can you give us a, a pro to having a podcast through the department and, and maybe a con, something that you either didn't expect or it's like, wow, okay, that didn't go exactly as planned and, and you learn from that? I think the pro has been the ability to flex creatively. That That's always, um, that's always nice because, you know, even in my role, like you get, you get a lot of, you get routine at a certain point and you're just like, okay. And you're looking for those, 
creative outlets and a podcast is going to be that every time. Like you never know what's going to happen. If you're having a good conversation, you may have a top a topic that you start out with and suddenly you end up, you know, 180 degrees the other way. Yeah. Um, I think the con is making or is trying to keep up with a schedule. Um, that has been for season two, at least for us, we have sessions recorded, but then getting them out and finding the right time to do that has been difficult. So, um, I, in fact, I was just talking with, with Saul today. I was like, when are we getting back in the studio? Like, let's go. And by studio, I mean the room where we record. We don't have an actual <laughs> studio. We're very scrappy. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it's like you get to a certain point and you're like, oh my gosh, you feel that you feel like you're running out of time to be able to record and get stuff out. Um, so sticking to a schedule is extremely important. That can be very hard. And that's actually what I think was the issue with the start and stop of our podcast initially. And then once we got in a groove, it, that really helped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said earlier, um, going back to your scrappy line, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, podcasts, they could be as expensive uh, or as inexpensive as, as you want it to be. Uh, I've, I've actually interviewed hosts from top rated true crime podcasts um, that still do the podcast in, <laughs> in their closet because that's where they, <laughs> that, that's literally where they get the best recording and the best sound. <laughs> yep. Never knock a closet. It's a lot more soundproof than people give it credit for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so any police departments thinking about podcasting, don't think that you have to have a soundproof room, just fight a closet somewhere in your building and you can make this happen. That's um, right. <laughs> so, you know, we, we kind of talked about, you know, how important it is for police departments to be a part of the narrative um, is from your experience because you're coming at this from a couple of angles of expertise what do you recommend for police departments on how best to engage with the public whether it be via social media podcast or, or any other media for that for, for that matter um I don't think anything will ever replace in-person conversations. Granted, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times, that little thing called COVID. It's, that's hard right now uh, it, in various parts of this country. But um, if you have a foothold in places where people prefer to be, and right now that very much is social media, right now that very much is podcasts. Um, if you have a foothold there and you're, and you're exercising and you're, you're flexing and you're really um, doing your best to not only post and with content, but also to engage when we're able to see each other again in, in real life. Um, people will remember that people will remember that you took the time to answer their question, that you took the time to follow up, that you took the time to uh, talk about things that are going on in your community that, you know, they may have had questions about, but they weren't sure about how to raise that either, you know, through a call or an email or, or if they were even so bold as to come to the department. Um, but being able to be accessible and being able to be human, like you talked about humanizing um, who you are, not just a uniform and a badge, but a person. Um, and by doing that through mediums like podcasts or social media or posting your podcast on social media, like linking out, um, that will move, I think, more mountains than people give it credit for. Yeah, 
Yeah, I I agree. I'm looking forward to to the days where we could actually have some face to face human interaction. Right. Uh, you know, I I appreciate this technology and how it's allowed us to connect, um, especially during a pandemic per se. Um, but one of the things that that I've noticed is that it's not quite as bad as the telephone where you know you would, you would say you would say and be rude at a level on the telephone that you wouldn't be face to face zoom and microsoft teams and facetime and all that is a little better than the phone but it's not quite face to face because i can't throw a hot cup of coffee at you if you say something i don't like <laughs> I gotta say, my pajamas are tired of being worn. My real pants would like to go back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have uh, I have suits and ties that haven't been worn, and I want to say like eight months or something like that. <laughs> yep, my biggest fear is I'm gonna go back to you know go back to full time wearing real clothes, and my clothes aren't gonna fit, and I'm just gonna be like, oh man, it's the COVID nineteen. Yeah, that'll well, that'll be great for the economy at least for <laughs> uh, uh, for all of those clothing manufacturers out there. Right. Uh, <laughs> last question I have for you, for those folks in our audience um, that either want to check out the podcast or maybe they're even interested in in possibly doing something like that and want to listen to your show to kind of get some ideas for themselves, how best can they find you and the Silicon Valley Beat? Well, uh, we are on every major uh, podcasting network. So we're on, if you're an Apple user, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, we're on Google, uh, Google Podcasts or Google Play. Um, we're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. Uh, and I believe we're on YouTube as well. So wherever we're, we firmly believe in accessibility and being able to ensure that people can get us where they prefer. We're not trying to tell you where to go. So <laughs> um, just look us up, Silicon Valley Beat, Mountain View Police Department, and uh, we'll be there. Yeah, I think I even found you on Overcast, which is... <laughs> well... Yeah, my job here is done. <laughs> believe believe it or not, I think there's like 15 different podcast platforms out there. <laughs> and I, well, it never ceases to amaze me where somebody's like, "Oh, I heard you on this," and I'm like, "Does that is that real? Like, I hadn't heard of that before." <laughs> is is that even a thing? You know, I mean, you know, now even I think Spotify is like the number one. If you could believe that, it even took I over Apple can. Podcasts. Yeah. My favorite thing ever is when I was at home and I tried it out and I was like, hey, Google, play Silicon Valley beat. And it popped up and I was just like, oh, <laughs> it's there. It's real. <laughs> this isn't a dream. We actually no. did this. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Everybody in the audience, if you haven't listened to Silicon Valley beat, um, even if you're not in California, if you're in, you know, New Hampshire or someplace, you know, give it a listen. Uh, it's a great podcast. And Katie, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Hey, thank you for having me on a Friday. Go home. <laughs> I'm already home. See, <laughs> while my studio is not in a closet, it is in my home. So all I have to do is walk that way and I could be in my living room real easily. But uh, proof that podcasting doesn't have to be expensive. <laughs> That's right. It can happen anywhere. 
<laughs> Anyhow, thank you again, Katie. You were a wonderful guest. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another great episode. Take care. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.